it's really this book that has caused so much of the theories around Lemuria being Mount Shasta. It wasn't until the 1960s that the idea of the Lemurian continent became contested and then dropped by mainstream science. Casey looked back millions of years ago and talked about how the first five races were made in God's image out of clay or dust, which we described in the last episode. Lemurian is just a reference to a civilization that was destroyed in a cataclysm. You can call them whatever you want. What I found so strange about this Frederick Spencer Oliver case is the timing that all of these things happened. And I can't right. shake it. Now, in part of his book, Edgar Casey on Atlantis, he talks about the Garden of Eden is almost, it's like brought up in passing, basically. And so people are having experiences where they're seeing something in the woods, right? Rob, I'm telling you, in that mountain is something big. Yeah. <laughs> In this episode, we're going to be talking about a little bit about a dweller on two planets, uh, some more on occult history and Edgar Casey, And we're going to ease into this whole topic with basically what we know about um, Edgar Casey's drops on Atlantis. Um, so, yeah, John, how much do you know about, you know, Frederick Spencer Oliver and his book, A Dweller on Two Planets? Well, he was he was the original uh, person who said that the Lemurians were living in Mount Shasta. At least that's what has been said about it. I don't know whether he was actually correct, whether that's in the book or not. I don't know if that's in the book specifically, um, but he does have an interesting story. Um, on, uh, he was actually rather young when he started to receive what he called, yeah. uh, what channel information, 16 or 17 or something yeah. like that, right? Really young. I mean, you know, these days if you're in high school and you're like receiving channel information and telling everybody you're going to get like thrashed by your peers. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if high school was much different back then. Right. Or if high school existed at all. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because it's I think what I find so bizarre about A Dweller on Two Planets and Frederick Spencer Oliver is the fact that it's really this book that has caused so much of the theories around Lemuria being Mount Shasta and all of the it's it's given so much fuel on the fire that is already the strangeness of Mount Shasta to begin with. He experiences this strange, um, this strangeness that overcomes him where his hand is shaking while he's walking home from school one day, something like this. And he goes home, he's given a piece of paper and he just starts writing. And 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 what's coming out is this... Uh, now, yeah, here, look at this. He, he, he died when he was about 33, he was 30, right? Old, yeah. 33, 33, which is an occult number as well, which is kind of hmm. weird. 32, 33 years old. 
and um born in 66 died in 99 so he 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 channels all of this stuff you know um and and the guy behind the channel according to frederick spencer oliver is a dude named phylos the tibetan who revealed the story to him over a period of three years beginning in 1883 so in this book he's basically talking about telos too right he's talking about like the underground cities talking about this whole civilization set up down there which is which is it's either mirroring blavatsky or blavatsky pulled from him yes so helena blavatsky who we sort of singled out in a previous episode i think it was episode two of this entire rant that is mount shasta we went heavily into Blavatsky and just the strangeness around her as an individual. And it's going to come back and weave back into the story in this episode. But before we get into that, we need to talk a little bit about Edgar Casey because Edgar Casey was the other person that mentioned Lemuria right. in, in his writings. And Edgar Casey was a channeler as well. So most of this information is coming from channelers. Now, the strange thing is I get a really fishy feeling from Frederick Spencer um, Oliver. I do not get a very strange feeling from Edgar Casey. if we're just going off of instinct here. OK, right um, now. And there's a lot of reasons that I say that Casey has. It's a, a, a longer history of being around and doing this type of work where you can observe his work and you can see whether or not he's doing kind of bizarre things, taking advantage of people or not, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Actually, John, before I do that, would you like to kind of bring anything, anything else forward about Casey that you're aware of and why you think Casey is actually a legitimate source when we're talking about the information in his books. Well, I mean, okay. Casey's known as the sleeping prophet, right? Where he'd go into a hypnagogic state and a lot of the information that he received, he didn't remember even what he was saying. And he dealt a lot with medical issues for people and helped solve a lot of problems back then. He would literally be doing these readings like day in and day out. So he, his whole intent was completely 100% to be serving other people, helping other people and not making, making himself wealthy off of it. So he had that long track record. So anything that K Casey has said about anything, you, you, you should listen to it. Now, you don't have to take it in as being something, the end all be all of anything, but you should give him a bit more credit because he deserves that. Well said. Yeah. Okay. Now in part of his book, Edgar Casey on Atlantis, he talks about the garden of Eden is almost, it's like brought up in passing basically. So Casey didn't know anything about Atlantis when these readings were done back in the 1920s and the 1930s. Right. And as John said, he was a clairvoyant who was into homeopathic medicine and he started an institute to explore psychic and he healing topics, which, you know, actually yeah. worked. I mean, he was helping a lot of people. Okay, so now his patients were people from all walks of life who were, you know, all telling him that they had 
had past lives in Atlantis, even though many of them never heard of the place at that time. So while he's got patients in a hypnotic state or whatever, right? Is that what's going on? I, I believe that is like he, he, well, he had he was in the hypnotic channel. state. But but one of his books as well was him getting them. He was doing regressions with them and they were retelling okay. experiences on Atlantis, okay. right? So and then they were, you know, these guys were talking about digital screens, lasers, advanced technology, even nuclear bombs, which didn't exist, you know, in the past. If we go by the current cycle, it sounds like you're talking about Dolores Cannon. No, this is in case she did the work. same thing, right? Dolores Cannon so. did a lot of the same. Yeah, where she would hypnotize people and then get that type of information too. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of this was going around at the time, so it wouldn't surprise me if if there were if there was some of this going on as well with Casey's, you know, um, patients and stuff. And he, you know, so Casey explained that the Atlanteans had not only underwater machines, but could also fly in the air to other continents. Casey looked back millions of years ago and talked about how the first five races were made in God's image out of clay or dust, which we described in the last episode or the last couple of episodes. Um, he said that they were white, black, red, yellow, and brown. So there is there is corroboration based off of some of what Casey is saying um, about Atlantis, um, even Lemuria. Yeah, right. Yeah, Casey was <clears throat> Casey was um, in a lot of his readings. It would this stuff would just come out as he's just like little little blurbs here and there throughout you know these readings and you had to go through it like everything that he did was cataloged and then you had to go through and piece them all together so when you see these these books that come out on casey and atlantis it's literally like stuff that that he had seen over many 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 years a lifetime of work even that's collected into a one edition on it so yeah wow i mean this was day in day out that he was doing this for his whole life ever since he was a kid wow i can't even imagine starting that as a child yeah. <clears throat> right Right. So, so he, yeah, he did bring up the Lemurians, didn't he? I mean, there's the thing, the, the idea of Lemurians also comes from Casey, whether anybody's calling themselves Lemurians or not, I think is inconsequential because Lemurian is just a reference to a civilization that was destroyed in a cataclysm. You can call them whatever you want. There were civilizations destroyed in cataclysms, and and he's talking about the people beings from those civilizations. And uh, there were some things that Casey said about how the Atlanteans um, devolved and eventually um, were extinguished. Do you remember any right. of that? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of the same stuff that we got in our remote viewing data that they had had become pretty much devoid lessened uh spirit on with their spirituality and their practices and they were no longer like connecting back to god to source um and they were doing a lot of like weird genetic experimentation as well as some strange sexual things so they were like uh the genetic experimentation was was it crossing themselves like with chimeras, animals? creating chimeras yeah i, I what mean is it, but, what's a chimera 
meaning different animals mixed together into one, even humans. But it didn't stop there. It was it was even, you know, going down the path of of having intercourse with animals. <laughs> that's crazy. So the I mean, the that's what we got in our data, you know. Right, and the, right, and so it was like basically a, a bizarre type of debauchery. Yeah, that was right. going on. Right. So there's some stuff here from Casey. Um, he's talking very specifically about things here with with genetics and stuff in addition another dna type called hapala group b appears to be from what casey and others have termed the ancient continent of mu or lemuria lemuria where uh, we were the first to make this assertion which has since been embraced by many others interesting right and then he identified location uh, in the Bahamas, right? Bimini. <laughs> I think he was on it. I don't, I don't think that, I think that, I don't think that his data was erroneous at all. And even though he did, I think at one point talk about Lemurians, it doesn't really matter. That was the popular name for it. Basically popular, popular in the culture. Um, more, like really back then a lot, because it, it was, it wasn't until the 1960s that the idea of a Lemurian continent became contested and then dropped by mainstream science up until that point people were really playing with it you know so that was like really popular um during his time that's really interesting yeah and then and then you know um we've got frederick spencer oliver really going into more detail on lemuria and telos the first use of telos that that i can find anyway is um it's a term meaning end, purpose, or goal, and it was used by Aristotle. Hmm. I'm not sure if you knew this, John, but Aristotle, um, he he was, you know, obviously he was a philosopher. He went as far as to say that telos can encompass all forms of human activity. One can say, for instance, that the telos of warfare is victory, or the telos of business is the creation of wealth. Within this conceptualization, there are telos that are subordinate to other telos as all activities have their own respective goals. Hmm. For Aristotle, these subordinate telos can become the means to achieve more fundamental telos. Through this concept, for instance, the philosopher underscored the importance of politics and that all other fields are subservient to it which shows the limitation of Aristotle here in his words. Right. <laughs> ah, man. Anyway, he explained that the telos of blacksmith is the production of a sword, while that of the swordsman, which uses the weapon as a tool, is to kill or incapacitate an enemy. On the other hand, the telos of these occupations are merely part of the purpose of a ruler who must oversee the direction and well-being of a state. And so I think it's interesting also that Telos is being used as this almost final destination for these. Right. Lemurians. What's the final destination of humans? Right. Telos. To ascend? Right. Well, yes. Right. There's where you almost, get into the 5D thing, right? Yeah. And then and then it sort of starts going back into some of this lore that we're going to get into about what who the Lemurians were, what Telos could have been to them. It's almost like this, you know hopefully higher plane that they were that they were entering right here right yeah yeah and then 
so you know that 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 JC Brown is into this story and this yeah. this this Lemurian thing is really taking over the minds of everyone. And it's like they forgot about everyone else going underground, right? And then all the finds of giants across the plains of America back then, too. It's like, but hey, everybody did that. All right. So with all of that said, uh, this uh, Helena Blavatsky just keeps popping up in all of this. And, and, it, and it doesn't even end here with Frederick Spencer Oliver. What I found really bizarre is that uh, I just, because I don't trust Helena Blavatsky, there's something that I keep finding with her that, that there seems to be this bizarre, like she's a con artist. There's something about this that, that there's, she's taking advantage of information that's already out there and trying to make a name for herself. And I'm getting this over and over again. Okay. And I don't normally treat people like this. Like, I could say Edgar Casey was crazy, but actually, you know, with everything that he was doing and 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 with all of his, he'd already proven himself to be completely service to other. Right. Yeah. Whereas with Helena Blavatsky, it's like anything she can do to make wave in society, creating a magazine called Lucifer, like right. all of this stuff just keeps coming up. And what I found so strange about this Frederick Spencer Oliver case is the timing that all of these things happened. And I can't right. shake it. This is kind of where all of this starts to get a little bit fishy. Okay. Is Lay it on me. Okay. So Frederick Spencer Oliver's book, A Dweller on Two Planets. Okay. In its introduction, Oliver claims that the book had been channeled through him via automatic writing, visions, and mental dictations by right. a spirit calling himself Philos the Tibetan who revealed the story to him over a period of three years beginning in 1883. Now, you remember, Helena Blavatsky was always kind of like referring to Tibet and everything in her writings, and she like felt a connection over there with those things, right? So already I'm like, this is a little suspicious that this guy named Phylos the Tibetan somehow is the one that's revealing this Lemurian stuff when she's writing all of this in her books that she's releasing. Right. right? So I'm getting curious about the timings of all of these things. Yeah. You know? Okay. So Frederick Spencer Oliver, who was born in 1866, right? He was born in 1866. The book was finished in 1886, 20 years later. And in 19, uh, in 1894, the manuscript was typewritten and copyrighted. And again, in 1889, owing to an edition. All right. So it wasn't even published until 1905 by his mother, Mary Elizabeth Manley Oliver, six years after Oliver's death in 1899. All right. I know these are a lot of dates, but it will It'll all come together sense. in a moment. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, the secret doctrine, the synthesis of science, religion and philosophy, which is a pseudoscientific esoteric book. It was originally published as two volumes in 1888, written by Helena Blavatsky. If this is true, Spencer channeled stuff about Lemuria before Blavatsky was able to normalize the term Lemuria, which would make this case really interesting, right? Also, this guy would have been 16 or 17 years old when he would have come across Phillips Sclater's, Sclater's work. That's the guy who revealed first this continent of Lemur Lemuria. The zoologist, right? Right. right. So, so now, what year was that? 
so that was at 16 or 17 when he started to um when he started to if he said Maria the book, back then eight, right 1886 right exactly so huh. the fact that he would be 16 or 17 using the word lemuria when you know philip sclatler was just coming out with all of this stuff is also very interesting that right? that's like super yeah that's super weird John, you sent me this article, and I don't even know if you knew what was in here, but it basically blew the top off of all of this for me. So there is a quote in here that says, at this point, or at that point, Oliver shared his experiences eventually repeating Phylos's accounts to a Eureka, if that's how you pronounce it, Wairika Theosophical Circle. So he basically reveals his channeled work in a theosophical circle. This is Helena Blavatsky's right. cult or whatever you want to call it. And then they end up pushing this entire thing. So the religion of theosophy was founded in 1875, and she revealed her book, The Secret Doctrine, in 1888. But think about it. Like, if she's trying to be a con artist across the entire globe and start all of this, like, start a religion up and all of these things, it's not that hard to organize something like this going on. Make her work look like it's legitimate. Exactly. Exactly. And th this is the problem I have with A right. Dweller on Two Planets, is it's, it's so tied into all of the spiritualist nonsense that was going on at the time that has been thoroughly debunked and Helena Blavatsky being the type of con artist that she was sheds so much doubt on Lemur Lemuria as a, as a thing, even being legit. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, it, and, and so I unfortunately have to put forward the case here that a dweller on two planets is nonsense. And a lot of people have taken this book to be extremely legit right. over, over the last, you know, 100, 100, 200 years. Right. Even based more books off of it, people are inspired by it and then go into creating their own story around it as well. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Now, what's what's interesting, um, and you, if you guys have not gone, if you guys have not watched our episode where we just targeted and honed in on Charles Churchward and uh, Helena Blavatsky, James Churchward, it was James. It? Excuse me. Yeah. If you guys haven't gone back and looked at our episodes or watched our episodes on James Churchward and Helena Blavatsky, I highly recommend that you right. do that because we go over all of the details about Helena Blavatsky coming to power, I guess you could say over a period of right. time and all of the different people that she was involved with. Right. Right. All right. So it's not just, um, you know, the Frederick Spencer Oliver stuff that I, I sort of doubt regarding the legends around Mount Shasta. There's other accounts that seem to have been written from Frederick Spencer Oliver's book that, just seem a little bit of a stretch. And now what's sad about it is that they could be using potentially real true things, but they're writing it into a book to try to make a name for themselves or whatever it is. And there's just strange stuff going on about, I mean, this just, this human beings being human beings, right? Okay. So this account that I'm going to kind of read to you, John, is from Abraham Mansfield's book, The Golden Goddess of the Lemurians. Um, and he did another book actually called The King of the Lemurians. 
Uh, now, Abraham claimed that he was appointed chief of gods of Lemurians already this reeks, right? <laughs> So in 1931, Abraham's friend followed a wounded deer on Mount Shasta and finally found the dead buck when he was exhausted and lost. Around 3.30 a.m., as the story goes, the friend heard something saying, why don't you come with me? It's okay. So there, there stood a being seven feet tall who asked what he was doing there, and he told the man that he was Lemurian. Okay, now he was taken to a plate, uh, to a palace, and gardens beneath Mount Shasta. They kept going down and down and down, and finally the Lemurians said they were in their shaft of gold, and it was only a little further to their cave, which is lined with gold. He said that the man could sleep on the slab of gold and wouldn't need a blanket because the slab was chemically heated thousands of years ago and never loses heat, so it's similar to the sun. So there's some interesting concepts in here, right? Um, a golden pillow was given to him, and they said to just think of what time he wanted to wake up, and he would because the pillow is a mental thought pillow that radiated so he would become acquainted with mental seance like the other Lemurians of the living dead beings. Also kind of weird. All right, now tunnels or shafts were under... These tunnels or shafts were under the world from volcanoes that connected like a world within a world. And he, he claimed that these walls were painted with a liquid sunshine, like the sun itself were shining through. One shaft led to the ocean near Del, Del Nor, I guess it's called, county, in uh, 90 miles to the west near a monastery that was built to train religious Lemurians, and that the shaft lined with gold was accessible to them from the outside. And he claimed that there was you know, enormous, monstrous and sized tables and chairs located under there. Now, that's just a basic general overview of this story. And there are interesting concepts in this story, but it also just seems like people jumping on the bandwagon to create more excitement around this idea rather than a genuine article. And, uh, you know, what's also kind of strange is there do seem to be accounts of like robed beings or Lemurians actually in sight, like people seeing them uh, in the woods or wherever it was. Like even in the gold rush time, people running into Lemurians and they were paying for things in gold. And we'll be getting into that in a later episode. But what do you think about this, John? Well, I think that. A lot of this stuff was just a bunch of made up nonsense. Personally, my my gut tells me that this stuff's also very hard to task on remote viewing. Um, and there's that. But the other side of it is that my gut tells me this is a nowhere uh, place to go. Um, and I think that you're right when you get back to those dates, when you get back to Blavatsky and Oliver and the dates surrounding that and look, here's Blavatsky, the Lemurians, the Lemurians, then you have everybody in the theosophical realm really wanting to, to mirror that back to her and also to gain popularity around something like that too. And here you also have a big span of time from the 1800s up until 1960, where, where even scientists were tossing around the idea 
of the lost civilization of Lemuria as being like this missing link. So of course, it's like going to be something that people are going to go after hard, very hard. And when you get into the, to the channeling world into this realm, you're dealing a lot with, with snake oil. You're dealing a lot with, um, just people just looking for a crowd and looking for clickbait topics, right? It's, it's snake oil. A lot of it's snake oil. So yeah, I'm with you. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never had a, never had a feeling about there being an ancient civilization that had escaped to it being negative, like never had a feeling that there was anything negative about that or untrue about that because we've seen it before. We've seen it with JC Brown, but the Lemurian concept, no, it's a, it's a marketing gimmick. Yeah. Now my opinion, you and I have talked a lot about different things that you've tasked because you've been so fascinated with Mount Shasta for so long. And I'm, I'm kind of coming into this whole thing for the first time, you know, Actually, over the last few years, whenever anyone would mention Mount Shasta, I would literally just roll my eyes and be like, I almost don't want to look into it just because people are so crazy about it. Right. But in fact, there's a lot here, right? There is a lot. Now, what <laughs> you told me. Yeah, like, that is the problem. Looking, you can't look away. You can't. You can't. You really can't. It just keeps unraveling. And it keeps touching other things that I've researched in so many strange, right. weird ways, right? Okay, now, I point blank the other day asked you what are these robed figures what are these robed figures like are right. people really seeing these things and 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 you had a really interesting reply for me because it, it does indicate that something is going on it's just hard for human beings i think to accept well yeah because because a person's having an experience internal experience and they're trying to un, they're trying to understand how that experience may, has meaning to it. And so they're going to place it in specific contexts because these are internal experiences because we've remote viewed some of the claims that people have made of, 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 of meeting with a robed figure on the mountain. And they've been these internal experiences. One of the things that you find with the old channeling work is that they, like when you get to like the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, for instance, he claims he went to Egypt, right? He didn't actually physically go to Egypt. He leaves that part out, right? And so with the channeling stuff, people will say, I met a being on the mountain, a white robe being on the mountain. And they didn't actually meet physically. They met astrally, right? And so you got to, so when you meet astrally, you have to go through this interpretation process of what was this? You know, what was this thing that I met with? Well, it must be a Lemurian because the Lemurians are what live in Mount Shasta, according to Lavosky and all these other people. So, yeah, <laughs> what are you going to do with that? You have to be discerning when you get this information, you read it. You really have to be discerning and understand where they're coming from. And so people are having experiences where they're seeing something in the woods, right? Rob, I'm telling you, in that mountain is something big yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. I'm telling you that there is. I look here, I am discounting on one side, but I'm also saying there's something great there. Interesting. So <laughs> what are you going to do with that? Well, what we're going to do is go through this next episode where our minds are going to be really blown about the actual 
real cases that we found in old newspapers where people and scientists were baffled over some of the things that they were thinking and old Native American stories that corroborate these things. And they're even older. And at the end of that episode, we're back in. We're going to have another episode and then another <laughs> yeah. and another because we metaphysical. Don't, we we'll never stop. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode and thought it was as out of this world as we did. And we'll see you next time.